Amen. 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 Well, you guys can grab a seat, take a drink of water like I'm going to need to after that. And uh, hey, we are so excited. Um, you're here with us this morning. And uh, man, that is a, um, that is a declaration of, uh, of what we believe and what we have our hope fully in. And it is a reflection of our confidence in uh, Jesus Christ being exalted over all. And we come underneath that together as God's people, as a part of Christ's church. And, uh, and just reflecting this week, um, I just want you to know it is a, a such, such, such a privilege. And I know I'm reflecting um, really the heart and the sentiment of our um, whole entire staff team that it is a privilege um, to be a part of this church. It's a privilege to lead in the ways that we do. And um, I, I have a vantage point and an opportunity just to just to share with you, like, I, I just see God changing and shaping our church all the time, and I love seeing that. Um, I, I've seen in so many different ways, at so many different layers, the way God is transforming me, our staff, our elders, and so many different people in our church as I interact and intersect with different people. And, um, you know, I've been saying since January, kind of coming out of all of the craziness of 2020, I've said to people, um, and to our staff especially, uh, we are not trying to get back to what we were. We are tr always moving towards what God has for us as a church. And uh, we're not trying to get back to something that was uh, there in 2020 or 2019. We are uh, eyes ahead, moving forward, reflecting what Paul writes in Philippians when he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And uh, that's really our heart in leading. We want to lead forward because um, right now, I would say that um, we are healthier in our leadership. We're more unified as a team. Um, we're, we're learning, I believe, at multiple places in our church to just rest more in um, the gospel and in relationship with Christ. And I also see, and I think a lot of it's as we've walked through the book of Acts, I'm seeing an increasing um, a, a passion for the lost and for our community. And... Uh, that's just a taste of some of the ways that I believe God is leading us forward. And uh, this message is going to highlight uh, the biblical concept that's behind all of that, sort of leading it forward, sort of pressing it forward. And it's the, con the biblical concept is the grace of God, amen? The grace of God leads us forward. And we're gonna see that on display in Acts chapter 13, 13 through 52. So let's pray before we begin. God, I ask that you would lead us this morning into um, the reality of your goodness and grace and that it would be on display. But God, through the work of your spirit, I'm asking for you to not just bring it to our minds, but bring it to bear on our hearts. Drive it deep into the very fabric of our, our, our lives and let us live out of this grace. Let us remain in it. Let us continue in it. And I pray, God, that it would, you would continue to press that grace into every place of our hearts and lives, God, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, um, I, I, I'm sure as you, as, you, you know, as you get out of your home and you go visit other people, there's this concept when you, when you visit people that um, you, you never wanna overstay your welcome, right? And there's times when maybe you've sensed like, maybe I've overstayed my welcome. And you know the situation, like you go over someone's house and you, you have a meal together and then you're chatting after that 
And there's a certain point where people kind of start to give the clues, right? Well, thanks for coming over, you know? Or, um, wow, it's, it's getting late, even though it might only be like 8 p.m. Or, you know what, it's been a long day. I think we should just get better, honestly, just being honest and getting to a point where you're like, hey, thanks for coming over. I really need to go to bed. But instead, we do all these kind of tricks to, to, because, because what we, we're trying to communicate something. And then whenever you're in that situation, like you never want to overstay your welcome. And, and today, as we talk about the grace of God, I want to say from the very beginning that um, there's this awesome reality that through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you've been invited to the grace of God. You've been invited to the grace of God. And, and there's so many ways that that grace works when we arrest in the reality of the grace of God. But here's the thing. With the grace of God, we never overstay our welcome with God. That is one of the awesome realities of God's grace. You never overstay your welcome. He's always wanting more of you and your heart and your life. He wants you to remain in that grace and to stay in the grace of God. And, and, and that's the big move this morning that we're gonna see from this passage is to stay in the grace of God. And there's four revelations of God's grace that we're gonna see in this passage. And so we're gonna walk right through scripture together. And so get your Bibles opened and uh, one by one, we're gonna receive this exhortation together to stay in the grace of God. And then we're gonna respond at the end. So revelation number one is this. Grace is displayed. Grace displayed. So we want to look at these evidences of grace, but first, in these first passage, we're going to kind of set the scene so we understand where we're at in the book of Acts. Follow along with me. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, so it's the Sabbath day, it's the time for worship, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So the Jewish people are worshiping. Remember the Jewish people, they would have been looking forward to a Messiah. They would have trusted the Old Testament, but they wouldn't necessarily have any faith in Jesus or even necessarily know what he had done this far from Jerusalem now. And so after reading from the law and the prophets, sort of what they would have done in their tradition, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, to Paul and Barnabas, saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, so we're going to stop right there, and I just want to set the scene. Here's a map of where we're at now in um, the Middle East. We were, there's Jerusalem, Caesarea, Cyprus last week is where we were at as, as the gospel was spreading to that island. And so they sailed from, to Cyprus. And then um, now they've sailed up into that area in the Middle East. And um, John has actually gone back to Jerusalem. That's what we saw in the passage. And they've moved from uh, Italia all the way up to Antioch in Pisidia not to be confused with other Antiochs in different areas like we've seen over the past few weeks. And so here you have them in the synagogue and the leaders of the synagogue are like, if you got a word of encouragement, you can speak. And Paul's like, in his head, I'm sure he might've been thinking like, are you sure? Are you sure? But Paul doesn't miss an opportunity and everywhere he goes, he moves in the synagogues to preach the gospel and then even beyond that as we're gonna see and so now I want you to see how immediately Paul puts on display God's grace. Just look at it, it's right there. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. 
The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. God's grace on display. He's like, look at your history. Look at your history. God did this. God was the one who chose them. God made them great. God led them out, verse 19. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. That's another way to talk about God's grace. He put up with them in the wilderness. Those of you who've forgotten the story, um, after the people get out of slavery, pass through the Red Sea, all the miracles that came with that, then they're in the wilderness and they just start whining and complaining. We want to go back. We like slavery now. You're like, in the world. It's like the most frustrating part of the Bible to read until you realize that oftentimes we're like that. And then you're like, ouch, that was convicting. And, and this idea is, is that by God's grace, he put up with them. He endured their ridiculous behavior. He displayed grace by continuing to move towards them and lead them, and he withheld his wrath. And this is, this is as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, this is, this is the kind of grace that parents need sometimes, right? Kids complaining, it's like, I just want you to know the grace of God has given me the grace to put up with you, okay? I'm putting up with you right now by God's grace. That's grace displayed right there. Verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. God did it. All this took about 450 years, and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And so now he's got them. They're like, agree, agree, agree. He's like, God's grace on display. I've given you leaders and, and prophets, and I've given you um, kings and all of these people to lead you. And then now it starts to turn distinctly towards the gospel. And what Paul does is he shows that God's grace has not been interrupted at all, that it passed through Old Testament history, and now he moves right into the new covenant in Jesus' name. Look at this, verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. He's like, God brought a savior. Grace displayed. And then it goes one further because in verse 26 it says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. He's connecting it all the way back to Abraham because salvation and the way salvation got extended to the world was the fulfillment of Abraham's promise or God's covenant with Abraham. And among those who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Grace is displayed here. God has been doing it. God is continuing to do it. It's on display. Do you, do you notice that um, in your life that, that we don't display things that we're not proud of, right? Like you don't think about something that you're really not proud of. You're like, I'm going to put that on the wall. We just don't do it. And, and so, like, I mean, we, the things we put on the wall, we either value because they're beautiful or they're, they're a reflection of things that we love. If you walked into my house, and I have four kids, and if you saw one picture of Eliana, and then one picture of Josiah, and one picture of Micah, and then 20 pictures of Alethea, you'd be like, 
And my kids would probably be like, and after using this illustration, I'm gonna go home and count my pictures on the wall. So just <laughs> make sure it's even. We, we, we always display what we value. And so think about what it says about God when the gospel message is always displaying grace. Look at all the sermons in Acts, all through Paul's writings, uh, the gospels, there's just grace and grace and grace and grace at the front in advance to the gospel, in the midst of the gospel, in the future that the gospel promises is just grace. It's saturated with it. It's on display. It is the unmerited favor that we get because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And there's this struggle that we face in our lives to receive grace, to really receive it. So we wrestle with guilt and shame and feeling like it's not deserved when, and then beginning to doubt the message of it. But you cannot avoid the prominence in the gospel message. You cannot avoid it. And, and so you can constantly feel insecure. That's okay. That's, that's part of the result of, of, of living in the fall and living under the reality of sin and brokenness. But here's the thing. Grace never stops inviting us to rest in our relationship with God. When, when you see grace on display, it is always beckoning to you. Just come and rest. Come and lay down all of the insecurity and the guilt and the shame and the pain and the weight and just come and rest. Just come and be in relationship with me. That's grace displayed. Stay in this grace of God. Stay in it. Revelation 2 is the unfortunate reality that sometimes grace can be denied. Grace denied. Look in verse 27. So he talks about this message of salvation with great hope and puts this on display. And then he says, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Think about the weight of this in the crowd. Fulfilling, he fulfilled those, those utterances of the prophets, prophets by condemning him, Jesus. And, and, uh, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, because God was going to fulfill what he had promised, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Grace denied they, they, didn't, they didn't recognize him. They didn't understand who he was. Their eyes were still blinded to the reality of who Jesus was. And, and listen, here's the reality um, that I know across the board is that when your eyes are blinded to the reality of grace, you will become ungracious. When your eyes are blinded to the reality of grace, you move towards ungraciousness. It's inevitable. And what, what is being said here is when grace is denied, when you deny it or don't see it or ignore it, you begin to walk in ignorance and you become ungracious. It's one of the mistakes that, that we want to avoid by staying in the grace of God. And so what happens is, is when you're not walking in the grace of God and you walk in ignorance, watch this, because you're going you're to note this even in your own life in different relationships and circumstances. Because when you're not staying in the grace of God, uh, you move in ignorance. You assume too quickly. You conclude without processing. And you don't believe the best about people. 
its ungraciousness. And if it has its full impact, grace denied, it leads in a variety of ways to death. Because they found in Jesus nothing worthy of death. But they dismissed all of that and they moved forward in their denial of grace and they didn't correct their course and they, pressed, they just pressed forward with their judgment, the hasty judgment. They held to a conclusion with a lack of evidence and the denial of grace led to the harshest possible judgment, the death of Jesus Christ. Condemnation. And it says there literally that in their ignorance they were fulfilling a prophecy. And, and listen, church, I just wanna, I wanna tell you like, there's lots of promises and prophetic things in God's word, and there are some of them, like the prophecy of Jesus dying that, that led to you know the Lamb of God being unjustly slaughtered, and there's a lot of really good promises. And all of God's promises will be fulfilled. We know that again and again. And if you stay in the grace of God, you're gonna fulfill God's good word to you, and if you deny grace, you will fulfill God's promise to oppose the proud. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but from the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so we saw the damage that came from the denial of grace from the Jewish people who executed Jesus and, and that was a promise fulfilled and I would say to you that this promise in the New Testament that I would encourage you to find yourself not in the place where the, the revelation of prophet promises being fulfilled is gonna lead to corruption but I would encourage you to sow to the Spirit so that what you will reap will be eternal life. Let's fulfill that promise. So in that, let us not deny grace. Let us not deny grace but let us stay in the grace of God. That's revelation number two, grace denied. Revelation number three is this, grace declared. Grace declared. Pick up with me in verse 30. So here's Jesus laid in the tomb, condemned to die. (laughs) And then verse 30, grace begins to be declared in the first two words. What is it there, church? What are the first two words? But God. Everything turns when God moves. The grace of God here beginning to be declared. Look what it says. But God raised him from the dead. Easter and all the joy and rejoicing that comes with it. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, and then he starts to connect the resurrection and the significance of Jesus, and he starts to weave it together with these passages in the Old Testament. Watch this. It's also written in the second Psalm. This is referring to Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And this is saying and declaring that Jesus is on the throne of heaven. He is the eternal son of God. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. This is Isaiah 55, 3. 
Anyone who is a follower of Christ, it's declaring here, by faith, by grace, will receive all of the perfect and sure blessings that were extended by God to David and to the line of David. Think about that. That is grace that was being looked ahead to all the way back in Isaiah 55. And anybody who comes to faith in Christ receives all of these holy and sure blessings. It's like the dump truck of blessings is just getting backed up. And saying anyone who in Christ receives these. Then he says, therefore, he says also in another psalm. Now we're in Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. The body of Jesus will never see corruption because the body of Jesus has been raised into perfection. And his power and his glory will never fade. And his promises will never diminish. And because of this, the enduring presence of the risen Christ, ruling and reigning and invitation is offered. Look at it in verse 38. I'm sorry, verse 36, let me go back. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So he's making a comparison here. He's like, David died. He saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Verse 38 now. He's starting to, he's starting to create an invitation here. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he stands in front of the people and he's like, listen, I've just made the connection between all of the law and the prophets, all the things that you've heard, the fulfillment of prophecy and Jesus dying. Jesus, God rose him, raised him from the dead and now he is seeing no corruption, this eternal son of God, standing above all, offering all the blessings of God and he's like, it can be yours. And by faith in Christ, he offers you the forgiveness of your sins. Now he brings it right to the individual people listening. That you now, by yielding to Christ, can receive forgiveness of your sins. All of it. Washed. Coming under the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Receiving that. Living out of the fulfillment of what Jesus declared on the cross when he said, it is finished. That grace declared the justification, the forgiveness, solely and completely, not because I've done right things, not because I've given the right effort, but because he died for me. And then it says you could be freed. Through faith, you could be freed from everything that you cannot be freed from in the law because the law has with it this constant slavery to the law that I've got to live up and I've got to be obedient to obedient to all aspects of the law. And now in Christ, he's like, I will, by my grace, my sanctifying grace, change and transform you. The law cannot give you that, but the Spirit can. And so he's inviting them into freedom. Freedom. And the gospel invites you, it beckons you by his grace. He says, I, don't, I not only call you I not only have accomplished all of this that makes it possible, but now, by my grace, I will sanctify you and change you. It's grace declared. And then verse 40, again, because he understands the way that our hearts can get led astray from this message. In verse 40, he says, Beware, therefore, 
lest what is said in the prophets could come, should come about, and this is a reference to Habakkuk 1.5. It says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. Mm, kind of harsh. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And so here again, he's just declaring this and he's saying, don't turn from it. Don't turn from it. It's a declaration and an invitation. It's a declaration and an invitation. And church, what he's inviting us to is to access the grace that's been declared to you. So so, some people will ask, how? How do I access this grace? How do I do that? I was uh, very helped by a a book that I read um, a a few uh, years ago. Um, This book by David Mathis, Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And I love the way that he talks about three fundamental things that are means of grace. They're ways that we get ourselves to a place where we can access and experience God's grace. And quite simply, these are things we talk about all the time in church. It's the word, prayer, and the fellowship of God's people. All of these are means of grace. So right now, today in the service, we've experienced the word and in worship and in opening God's word and teaching it. We've experienced times of prayer together and now we're in communing together. There's a grace there in that. And, and I love what he writes um, about that. He says this, the means of grace are not about earning God's favor, twisting his arm or controlling his blessing, but readying ourselves for consistent saturation in the role of his tides. That's such a sweet picture of just the presence of God rolling over our lives in prayer, in the word, and in fellowship with one another. And I experience that all the time weekly. We've gotta access the flow of God's grace that has been declared and offered to us by God's grace. It's, it's one of the reasons why, church, um, a few weeks ago, um, I, I said that, listen, we, we love our online service. We love the opportunity to be able to have the service online for people to watch it if they're sick or if they're new to our church and kind of connecting for the first time or the first few times, trying to figure out what we, what we are as a church or, or, or if, if people are traveling or whatever it might be. We, we love the, the fact that we have that available. Um, but there is, but one of the things we've learned in the last year is there is nothing that compares to whether in a weekend service or in small groups or in a variety of other places, there's nothing that replaces the presence of God's people together. And we've seen that again and again in this last season. And so I am compelled to say that we will always offer an online service, but church is present with God's people inherent to the definition of it in the New Testament and throughout church history is that church is when we gather together. And there are glorious parts of that where God shows us his grace and there are hard parts of that. Getting up and getting clothes on on the weekend, okay? And being like, I gotta go to church. And understanding in that, that then you gotta get the kids ready because you can't leave them at home, okay? That's, don't do that. And, uh, and then you, you bring them here and you're maybe wrestling through being late or tired or whatever, but then you're around God's people. And there's something that stirs us and there's something that you cannot replace the presence of seeing people and the affection that I see in and around our church. 
And then there's the hard parts too where God wants to teach us and show us his grace, where we rub up against one another and where my perspective's different than yours and I'm having a bad day and we rub up against one another and there's a grace that God teaches us in that that you cannot replace the gathering of God's people. And so in these things, there are sometimes places where we move towards it as a discipline in word, in prayer, and in fellowship. But these are the means of grace that God has offered us. He blesses these things. He calls us to these things for a reason. And so we've got to move back to those with great zeal. Because in those, we hear God's voice. In those, we have his ear and we belong to his body. And I promise you, church, that those are so important in the life of a believer. Because we need to access it daily, not just on Sunday. We need to access it daily. Word, prayer, and fellowship. Word, prayer, and fellowship. When you access the means of grace, that's when you're going to see the fruits of grace produced in your life. So if you're wondering, where's the fruit? We gotta make a move towards the means of grace. And, and the fruits of grace are glorious. Relationship with an eternal God, leadership and guidance from the risen Christ, forgiveness and freedom and living out of the good news of the gospel. That's grace declared. Then revelation number four is grace diffused. Look at this with me. And just, just see this in the text because diffused means to spread out over a wide area. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So they're like, please, more. We want to hear this message of grace. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. If you want to understand where the big idea of the message came from, it came right from here. This is the message they're urging the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Friends, it's spreading. But when the Jews, there's always opposition, always opposition. When the gospel starts to press, it starts to diffuse, there's always opposition to it. Look, but the, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. We've seen this pattern before, haven't we? And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. I want you to follow along with me because this is, this is a tragic statement. They said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And then they say, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's just a tragic statement. It's saying we came to you first because you're the Jewish people and you're God's chosen people, but God has a new covenant that he's unfolded in Jesus, and you need to turn to him. And then he's like, but you've thrust it aside, and you've counted yourself unworthy of eternal life. They, they speak this boldly to them, and then they say, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Then look what happens, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And look at verse 48. Look how, look how different it is in spirit than 46. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so <laughs> the, the, um, the Jewish people, because their power and influence was being taken, 
they scrunch up their nose to the gospel and they're like, we don't want to hear it. We are rejecting it and we're going to revile you because of it. Because you're taking something from us that was our God and that is power and influence. And, and so, but some believe. And so then they come over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are like, we can have the gospel. And they're like rejoicing and it's like a party. It's like two very, very different things playing out. And anyone who's familiar with God's word knows that that's exactly what God's word tells us. It says that to some, the gospel will be the fragrance of life. To others, it will be the fragrance of death. It's right here being displayed. I can picture Paul thinking back to this moment when he wrote that in Corinthians. And then it says, um, and it said there, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This is where we see this oftentimes in scripture. The the decision that a human makes to put their faith in Jesus Christ, to repent, is met with this declaration that, that has many were appointed to eternal life believe. So there's God's providence and there's a human decision. And in that, and in all aspects of that, there is this thing called mystery, okay? And I love getting to these points because they are true. There is a call to make a decision for Jesus Christ and there's, uh, as many were appointed, those who are the people who believed, and there's some people that want to categorize every single little piece of that. And listen, I just want to live in the mystery, okay? Because if I believe that I can categorize every single piece of that, I'm saying I believe I can get to a place in my wisdom that is God-like, and I'm not God. And so I just refuse to try to categorize all that and just be like, I trust both of them. Uh, I'm going to call you to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to tell you that God appoints those to whom he believed. And then look what happens after this because it's really helpful for us in the communication of the gospel and in evangelism. 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the opposition didn't stop. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. It was so severe, the second wave of persecution, that they drove them out of the place where they were sharing the gospel, where people were gathering to hear them. It said, but they shook off the dust from their feet. Just picture like, they're like shaking their feet off. And shaking off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And then verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They... They were just persecuted and drove out of this area where they were finding favor. And, and I, I'm, I'm so, when I saw that last verse, I couldn't get my mind out of that. The gospel's being diffused and they're seeing this fruit of, of preaching the gospel and, and then there's this resistance and then another layer of resistance and they're literally drove in, like they're driving them out of the area. And then it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's where you realize this. When God's favor is not seen in a situation or circumstance, just move on to the next opportunity. They didn't keep pressing into places where God's grace was, was not showing them favor. They just shook the dust off their feet. The, the, the shaking the dust off their feet was just a symbol of saying, listen, we're not going to have any part of the faithlessness or the consequences of faithlessness. We're just moving on to the next space that God has for us. The shaking off of the feet wasn't like a condemnation move. It wasn't like a disinterest. It was just like, 
God's not moving here right now. I'm gonna move on to the next place that God might, the next door that God is opening in Iconium for us to go and preach the gospel. And we're gonna pick up next week right there with the gospel continuing to go out. And, and, and this reminded me of um, an illustration about evangelism that I had heard a while ago. It's an idea, um, the, the principle is called red apple evangelism. So as we go out with the gospel, there's gonna be a variety of people that we engage. And there are gonna be some people that just, when we share the gospel, they're not ripe into the gospel. They're gonna drive you out of the conversation just like they did Paul and Barnabas. And in that, our move shouldn't be like, no, I'm gonna stay here until you believe. Like, don't bruise the fruit. Let God ripen it in his time. And, and particularly, don't, don't give your focus to the person who's soured to the gospel in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. When, when you're so distracted and focused on this person, it's just not right for the gospel, and there's the person two cubicles down or two homes down who just had a bomb dropped in their life, and their heart is so ripe to the gospel, and God could lead you if you would just go, you know what? I mean, you don't want to, the person who's not ripe to God, you don't want to like dust your feet off in front and be like, dusting my feet off and I'm walking away. No, you just turn and you just go, God, what other door have you opened? And you're looking always to the opportunity that God might have for you. And here's the thing, why were, why were the disciples able to have joy and be filled with the Holy Spirit? I think it's because they looked back and what they said there in verse 48, as many were appointed to eternal life believed, and here's what they understood. The turning of someone's ear to the gospel, their, the, the, the eyes being able to see the gospel, that is a work of God's grace. My responsibility is just to share the gospel. And so the people go, they share the gospel. They're like, door closed, shake off their feet. They're like, we're moving on. And they just move on. And because of that, they're filled with joy because they've been faithful to what God's called them to. And church, I wanna encourage you just to be faithful to what God's called you to. And let us not carry something on our shoulders that is God's work, not ours. And there is a joy that comes in sharing the gospel and in diffusing grace that comes when we understand that reality. And so I want you to see clearly what's happening today as we, um, as we close our time together. And um, this, is, um, this, is, this is God's grace in all of its ways, in the ways that it's been displayed. It's something we don't want to deny. It's been declared and God wants it to be diffused. And some of us, we're like this. We are, um, we are absorbent people. Can we all agree? Like there's things and situations that happen in our life and we are absorbent. Like we absorb things. And um, some of us think about our life in regards to God's grace. And if I was to sit with you and talk with you, you'd be like, I'm dry. I'm just dry. And the nature of God's grace is that it wants to soak into us. And the reality of the world is, is that the world, um, the winds of the world, the temptation of the world, it dries us out. It gets us to parched places and places where we don't really have any joy or we're not full of God's spirit. And the problem is, is that we approach the means of God's grace that we talked about, whether it's the word or prayer or fellowship. And this is what we do with God's grace. We're like, oh, I had enough right? And then we're like, 
I wonder why I'm dry. Because that's going to dry out pretty quickly. And then we come back again, and we're like, oh, so dry, so dry. And then we're like, a little more. But still, we go and it gets dried out, and we can't squeeze very much out at all. The grace of God in the way it's displayed, the way we don't want to deny it like the Jew, some of the Jewish people did, in the way it's declared and the way for it to be diffused rightly is for us to literally soak in God's grace. Like saturate deeply into every part of your heart and your past and your life and you've got to soak in it, church. You can't get that once a week in a service, I promise you. It will not pervade to the places of your life where God's grace needs to go. And you've got to soak in it. And when you soak in it, then, now, it's going to diffuse everywhere you go. And all it takes is a little squeeze and more of the grace of God just starts to flow from your lives and it gets all over you and you're just a big mess of grace, but in a good way. And God's grace just gets diffused everywhere when we soak in it. God's grace is not presented to us so we can be like, awesome, God's grace, that looks great and I'd really love for that to saturate my heart in life. But people who have joy and are filled with the Holy Spirit are filled with the Holy Spirit and have joy because they're literally soaking in God's grace. And they're like, you, you, can, you can leave if you want to, but I'm staying right here because with it I'm filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit because those who stay in the grace of God are the ones who are soaking in the grace of God. And so what I want to do now is the missional move this morning is this. For us to do what we see here in verse 52, because I want that to mark my life. And so um, I want to give us an opportunity uh, to come, and, and we're going to do this more often in our church like we did a few weeks ago. We're just opening up the front, and, and this is an opportunity for you to make a move for you to make a move and to kneel here and to ask, God, would you fill me with joy and fill me with the Spirit of God? I believe there's some people here this morning, just like in first service, who, who maybe you're saying, God, I, I, there's an opportunity and I want to be so saturated with your grace because there's an opportunity to share the gospel and I want them to see the grace of God clearly and I'm so dependent on your grace for this for the turning of a heart or for an ear to hear like never before. Or maybe it's in light of a rejection and you've been rejected by somebody. They've driven you out in relationship and you're like, God, would you meet me and let me see that that's, I, I'm gonna trust you and leave that at your feet, but I'm gonna continue to press forward to diffuse your grace throughout my life. Or maybe it's to receive God's grace. Maybe you're like, man, Pastor Brian, right now, I need that in my life right now. In a place of brokenness and pain or sin, and I just need to receive your grace. Or maybe there's some here this morning that maybe for the first time are like, I need to turn my life to Jesus Christ. And your eyes are open in a way like never before. And you're like, I'm one of those people that's been appointed to believe. And I would invite you to come forward and just pray that God would have all of your life and that you would yield yourself to him, that you'd live in the grace of God. So wherever it is, that the, the front is open and I just want to invite you to come to pray for an opportunity, to pray to move from a place where you've been rejected or for access to God's grace that he freely gives.
Just come now and kneel and pray as the worship team uh, uh, just plays over this time. And I just want to encourage you to come right now. Just come and kneel and come and ask God to meet you. To come and just say, God, I'm soaking in your grace right now. I want all of it right now. Bring it, Lord, your joy and your Holy Spirit, asking that it would be filling us so that we might be everything God's called us to. We're staying in the grace of God, church. We're gonna stay here. Let's just pray now as people continue to come. Let's just pray for this in our life and in our church. We're staying in the grace of God. Yes, God. Meet us here, God.